Hey everybody, I wanna welcome you back for week two in our series called Follow Me. And you know, this series really was birthed out of my heart looking at the world around us. I was looking at all of the devastation, the hatred. I was looking at the wars, the rumors of wars. I was considering like what Jesus was talking about the world will be like at the end of days. But what does it look like to keep following him? Because we, we do know, right, that it doesn't matter like what happens in this world, we're still called to the same standard of following Jesus. His standards don't change. Because when you, can, when you look at the world and you look at the church, here's some of the statistics that I've recently discovered. That there's one fourth of the church, 25% of the church never came back after the pandemic, but yet 63% of Americans still identify themselves as Christ followers those two numbers definitely don't go together. And I hate the fact that 25% of those in the pre-pandemic have not been back into fellowship with other believers. I just know this, it's gonna be super hard for people who are not in fellowship with other believers to actually be a follower of Jesus. And then you consider this, like what's the new norm in church attendance? Once every six to eight weeks. Well, that's gonna be really difficult. If, if, if you're in worship with other believers, if you're hearing God's word, if you're standing next to other believers, praying for one another, worshiping with one another only once every six to eight weeks, that's gonna be really difficult for you to grow in your faith. And then when you look at Bible engagement, people actually in God's word, the American Bible Society recently just did a report for the year 2022, and they discovered that only 39% of all Americans read their Bible more than once. Once every year, by the way. We're not talking about more than once every week or every month, right? We're, we're talking about once every year. I mean, hold on guys, time out. How in the world are we gonna be followers of Jesus if we don't know what God's heart is saying? Because God's word is giving us his very character and his nature. And so you can see what's happening here, right? Spiritual disciplines are on the decrease. Um, chaos in this world is on the increase. It's gonna make it really hard to be a follower of Jesus. So this pastor wants to help you. I wanna help you stay engaged. I wanna help you grow. I thought to myself like, well, what would Jesus say? Like, what would Jesus do if he was the senior pastor of our church and he was preaching in front of us week after week after week? What would he say to his followers? What would he be telling us about how to follow him in a world that doesn't? And, and I also thought to myself, like, well, like, what would Jesus say to a group of followers that want to, they want to do the things that the world's doing? They want to disengage with the Bible, disengage with worship, disengage with fellowship, disengage with prayer, right? Disengage with sharing their faith. What would Jesus say to a group of followers that don't want to practice his principles? Well, good news, Jesus actually addressed that already. And it's found in Luke chapter 14, and it starts in verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. Guys, now look, that's really important to understand. We're not talking about just the disciples and a couple of their buddies. We're talking about a large crowd, maybe hundreds or, or even thousands. We know in the scriptures that there were groups of over 5,000 that followed Jesus at a time. So let's just picture it at a thousand people that are following Jesus. What does Jesus do? He turns around and he says something to them that you and me need to hear. If you wanna be my disciple or you wanna be my follower, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Hate who? Well, hate your father, your mother, your wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise you cannot be my disciple or you can't be my follower. And then he ends it with this. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, then you cannot be my disciple or follower. Well, look, let's take the next couple of moments together and let's discuss what Jesus really meant in this passage of scripture.
All right, guys. So in Luke 14, I don't know about you, but that was challenging when Jesus said he wants us to hate our father, our mother, our wife, our children, and even hate ourselves. I mean, is that actually what Jesus meant, that to have hate like with malice? It's not, obviously, because if it was, then we should all get up and walk out of Christianity. But what Jesus really meant by that was this, that he wanted, he wanted us to love less these other things, meant to like love him more than all these other things. And, and when you look at the teaching of Jesus, you see that come out all the time. I mean, consider what Jesus said about, you know, the, the great commandment. Right, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to do what? To love your neighbor as you love yourself. So right there, there's already a contrast. So Jesus doesn't want us to hate the people that are closest to us. And then even consider when Jesus was on the cross, right? Jesus is on the cross and he's dying and he says a couple of like really key words. You know, one of the things he said, he told one of his followers, he turned to his own mother. He said, now this is your mother, like love her take care of her. So even Jesus himself didn't hate his own mom, but what did he do? He put her less than his father. Jesus told us all the time, I only do what the father's telling me to do. I only say what the father's telling me to say. So Jesus is now saying to you and me, I want the same priority in your life. Like Jesus is going, I want to be number one so much so that I'm the number one priority in your life. I'm greater than anything else in your life. And I want you to love everything else less. I want you to love, yes, even family less. But Jesus would say this today, if he was a senior pastor of our church and he was preaching this message, he would say, I want you to love your education less. I want you to love your occupation less. I want you to love maybe the pleasures of this world less. I even want you to love your financial status less. Jesus will, Jesus demands to be number one and he doesn't, he doesn't allow for competition in number one. If we call ourselves Christ followers, even in a world that doesn't, his principles aren't changing, right? He wants to be number one. So even as chaos and sin, it keeps infiltrating humanity, Jesus isn't going, oh, that's okay. I'm going to let my principles slide. No, the principles of following Jesus never change. It doesn't matter what's going on in this world. They're never going to change. Jesus demands to be number one all by himself. And what, what we do a lot is we put number one here and then number two and then number three and number two instantly trumps number one. And number three trumps number one. And it's the reason why all of a sudden we don't find ourselves in church, right? It's the reason why all of a sudden we don't find ourselves reading God's word or we don't find ourselves in prayer. And if we only had some kind of an amazing visual tool that I could use to drive this point home, well, just so happens that there is, right? This this tower behind me, I want you to think about it this way. What if Jesus was standing on the top of that tower as your number one priority and your number two and number three and four and five priority were all the way down at the bottom? I mean, consider that kind of margin. I mean, what would that do? How would that benefit you? Well, it would benefit you in a massive way right? Because if Jesus is number one all by himself like that, you're going to be able to withstand all kinds of storms that come your way, difficulties that come your way, challenges that come your way, sin that raises its ugly head and you fall flat on your face. If the margin between Jesus being number one and everything else being way down on the ground is there, man, it's going to help you follow Jesus in a world that doesn't. Let me give you another visual image of this. All right, I used to live in Valdez, Alaska. And in Valdez is where the tankers come in empty and they come to the port and then they get filled up with oil.
And one of the things I started to notice, and you can see this for yourself on the internet, is that these ships, they would come in and they had this line that was painted on them, right? And it was above the water. And then as the ship started getting filled with oil in the front and in the back and in the middle, uh, then the ship would sink itself kind of into the water. It's almost kind of like it's settling itself, right? Getting ready for its voyage into the open waters. And you would always see this little guy, he would come out in a boat and small little boat and he'd be running around and he can be looking at it, at the ship and reporting back with his radio. Because although they had all the instruments to tell us like how much oil is actually in the ship, they wanted to visually see where that paint line is in the water. So as the ship went down, the paint disappeared, and then we want that line to match up with the water line. Now, now that left quite a margin then between where the water was at and the actual top of the ship. And, and that was really important because, you know, when it's getting filled up with water, with, with uh, um, oil, it, you know, it's, it's not in a place where storms are really going to affect it, but it's getting ready to go out into the open waters. And when it gets out there, it's going to face all kinds of storms. The wind's going to pick up, the waves are going to crash against it, and it has to be able to weather that storm. Well, the way it weathers that storm is the sidewall, right? If it's, if it's too deep into the water, then those waves can overtake the ship. It can damage the ship. It could possibly even sink the ship. And, and that would be devastating, you know, to the oil that's on that ship and even the, even the ecosystem around it. We don't want that to happen at all. It's the same thing that Jesus wants for your life. He, he doesn't want the storms of life to overtake you. That's why he wants to be number one on the pedestal all by himself with all the other priorities, number two, three, four, and five, way down at the bottom because he wants the margin of your life to be greater. Because why? You're gonna face storms. You're gonna face challenging times. There's gonna be moments when the phone rings and you don't like what's on the other side and email comes in and you don't like what just happened. There's gonna be things that happen in your job, your personal family life, and even in your personal life. And when those storms come and they rock you and they are gonna rock you, and when sin raises its ugly head and it tempts you and you fall flat on your face, Jesus wants the margin of him being number one so great that everything else is so much less that you can withstand that storm, that you can get back up. You can get back up off the ground and you can keep running after him. That's what he wants for your life. That's why it sounds so harsh, but it's really not. That's why he wants you to hate or put less all of these other things in your life so that in a world that doesn't follow him, you can stay faithfully following Jesus. All right, I wanna take you to a couple more places in scripture because I really wanna help you anchor what Jesus was talking about in Luke 14. And look, it's so important that we get this principle into our lives. James chapter one, verse eight says this, that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So this unstable component, right? Like if you're claiming Jesus is number one, but there's so many other things that are trumping him all the time, taking his place, then you're unstable. And, and this is like devastating, right? Because if you're personally unstable, how in the world do you keep growing in your faith? How do you keep becoming the man or the woman that God really wants you to be? I mean, if you're unstable, think about what it's doing when it comes to the example you're setting for your children in their faith or just being the Christ-centered example in your workplace, right? So if we're unstable, it's devastating. And look, we live in a world 
that's full of chaos. We live in a world that's full of sin because it's gonna feel like there's a lot of pressure on us. But as Christ followers, we are supposed to be setting the temperature of this world, right? We're not supposed to be like setting our temperature off this world. We're supposed to be setting it. And so in this world, we can't, we can't be like unstable are unstable in our faith. We, we have to be stable. The world's counting on you and me to be people that know what it means to follow Jesus, even in a world that doesn't. And so Jesus knew like, hey, look, this world is gonna eat your lunch. Right, there's gonna be moments where it just takes you out. It's gonna be like a gut punch and you're, you're like gasping for air, wondering like, what am I, what am I gonna do next? And he, he knew this. And so he knew that if he wasn't number one, man, this gut punch was gonna come and this world was gonna eat your lunch and you would go falling flat on your face never to get up again. Jesus doesn't want you to go and get knocked out in your faith. Man, he wants you to thrive in your faith. And so I wanna help you understand again, what was he really meaning in Luke 14? Because it, it might feel like disjointed in this like hatred or making less a mother and a father. You might be wrestling with that. So Jesus gives us the very same principle a few chapters later in Luke chapter 18. And I wanna take you to it for a moment. Luke chapter 18, we're gonna read a few verses. Follow along with me because I mean, this, this is a very, very similar kind of principle that he's making Luke 18, 18, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments, right? You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not uh, testify falsely. You have to honor your father and your mother. And the man replied, he said this, look, he goes, look, I obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. And when Jesus heard his answer, he said these words to him, there's still one thing that you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then you can come follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad for he was very rich. Now, look, I, I choose to take us to this passage not to make us feel guilty for the money that we have. I mean, you realize, right, the poorest of the poor in America are some of the richest in the world. So I'm not bringing this up because I even want you to give a larger offering this Sunday. And I'm definitely not trying to make you feel bad about your finances, but I do know this. We, we are blessed people. We live in a blessed nation. Yeah, sure, there is, you know, an economic struggle that's going on right now with inflation, but still, we have the money to go out to eat. Thank the Lord for that. Still, we have the money to fill up our gas tanks. Thank the Lord for that. Still, we might have money to put in savings and make our mortgage payments. Thank the Lord for that. But here's what Jesus was saying to the guy. Look, if you love those resources more than you love me, the kingdom of heaven is not for you. So what is he telling him? I want you to hate those things. Or we learned what that means, right? We want, I want you to love those less. Because look, if we love all of the wealth that we have, we love all the security that we have, then number one, the kingdom of God's not for us. And we're fooling ourselves if we're saying that we're followers of Jesus when we're really lovers of other things. And so in this world that is choosing not to follow Jesus, to follow him, we have to take the things that matter most to us and make them less. And this is exactly why, guys, back in Luke 14, Jesus said, look, if you wanna follow me, you gotta pick up your cross. 
I mean, wow, we know what that means today, don't we? Jesus died on the cross, but you do realize that the disciples didn't know it. The disciples didn't know that Jesus was gonna die on a cross. All they knew was this, that a cross was an instrument of torture, an instrument of execution. So what was Jesus really trying to say? Well, he was trying to say this. Look, you gotta, you gotta give up your life if you wanna gain your life. You gotta be willing to lose your life if you wanna thrive in this world. So Jesus isn't being harsh, guys. What Jesus is trying to say is, I wanna be number one in your life. And that means you gotta die to everything else. You gotta be willing to surrender your life. And guys, there's so many stories of missionaries, I could go on and on, of missionaries that have given their life for the gospel. You know, some, some missionaries back in the early days of steamboats, they would pack all their goods into coffins and put them on a ship and they would send them off with themselves. What were they basically saying? They were saying this, I'm not coming home alive. When my body comes back to America, it's coming back in that coffin. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna serve the Lord. I'm gonna put him number one in my life. I'm so thankful for those people. Guys, in some shape, form, capacity, this is what God's calling us to as well. Will you give up your life so you can gain it? Will you follow me and pick up your cross? Will you lay down all these other priorities? And there's so many other practical things that I, I really want to say to you about how we can apply this. So let's talk about that next. Let's talk about how do I apply this today, right now, as I get ready to walk out of this auditorium. guys. So when you hear a message like you did today, uh, you can be sitting there and going, what in the world am I supposed to do now? Right? Because this is such a weighty word. This is such a challenging word. Like what step should I take? I just want to give you some really super practical things. If you're going to follow Jesus in a world that doesn't, then, you know, like we talked about last week, you're going to have to know where in the world he's going. So be in God's word. Uh, the more you're in God's word, the more you're hearing from the character and the nature of God. And you know, statistically, it's proven that people that grow the quickest in their faith are the ones that are in God's word four times or more a week, not a year, all right, a week. And I'm not suggesting that you're reading four chapters a week. I'm suggesting that you get into God's word, read a verse or two, and then evaluate and apply. Remember those two words, evaluate and apply. So you're evaluating what's the Holy Spirit trying to say to me from this passage, right? What is this teaching me about who God is? And then the application or the apply, how do I take this and put it into action right now? That's much better than reading chapters and chapters. I would much rather see you read a couple of verses and do that. So get into God's word. It's going to help you. Number two, and I get it, like this is not rocket science, but the more you're in prayer, then the more you're communicating to God what's in your heart. But the secret of prayer is not just what you say to God, it's when you quiet yourself so that God can speak to you. And can I just recommend that even five minutes of quiet time, five minutes of quiet time a few times a week could radically transform the way you follow Jesus? Here's what's gonna happen. When you're reading God's word and you're having those moments of quiet time, the Holy Spirit's gonna speak to you about the things that he wants you to love less. Why? Because he's always wanting you to love God more. And it's never going to be 
condemning. If you ever feel condemned about the things that you love more versus like convicted to put Jesus first, I want you to know condemnation doesn't come from God. All right. So if you're feeling guilty or shameful, condemnation is from the enemy and he's pushing you away from God. He's wanting to make you feel bad. He's wanting to keep Jesus from being on the pedestal of your life. All right. So God's word and prayer. Follow the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Avoid the condemnation of the Holy Spirit. I got one last nugget of gold for you. I guarantee you, okay? Here's my suggestion for you. Find someone that's farther along in their faith, someone that's in their older years, maybe in their retired years, right? Take them out to lunch and start asking them, tell me your story. Tell me your testimony. What does your story of following Jesus look like? And glean from them. They are like gold for us, all right? They're a gift to from God to us. So would you maximize those relationships and let generations meet with each other and we can glean from those who have gone before us because those who've gone before us have got some incredible knowledge. So let me end with this little, this little illustration for you. I don't know if you've ever seen these before, but these pools that some people put in their backyard, right? And they're, they're not very big pools. I'm not talking about a pool you lounge around in. These are exercise pools where current flows and people swim and they get that current dialed in at just the right uh, amount and then they swim in the current, right? And where they start, they end. Like, it, I don't know how depressing that would be to know that I swam a mile to get up and still see the same back deck of my house. But some people have these things in their house and here they are, they're swimming against the current. They're swimming against the current. What's happening when they're swimming against the current? They're getting stronger. Their endurance is growing, right? They're, they're, able, they're able to like, have better heart, lung, vascular uh, systems. Their heart's getting healthier, right? Everything about their body because they're working out. Although they're not moving anywhere, they're just swimming against the current. I want you to know this. Following Jesus in a world that doesn't is like swimming against the current. It's gonna be difficult. It's gonna be times when you wanna quit. There's gonna be times when it's like, hey, the timer went off, the workout's done. I just wanna give up. I wanna go to the bar tonight and I'm gonna pound down some beers and I'm gonna, whatever it is that you're gonna do, whatever your temptation is. And I just want you to know, the more you keep swimming against that current like a fish that swims upstream, the stronger your faith gets. And in this world, in this world that really doesn't wanna follow Jesus, you're swimming against that current. The more you do that, the stronger you get. The more you say yes to Jesus, the stronger your resolve gets, right? The more you say no to sin, the stronger your spiritual resolve gets. So church, listen to me. It's not gonna stop. The current's gonna keep getting stronger. This world's gonna keep drifting to a place where, you know, it doesn't wanna follow Jesus. We can't follow that. Let's be a group of people that keep making everything else in this world less and keep making Jesus more. Let's swim against the current. I guarantee you, in the end, you'll be thankful. In the end, you'll be stronger. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this word today. Thank you that your word still has life in it, although it might be challenging. Thank you that you're faithful and that you're going to endure with us even to the end of the age. That's what you tell us in Matthew chapter 28, that if we choose to follow you and go and make disciples, you'll be with us all the way till the end. Lord, that doesn't mean that life's going to be easy. That doesn't mean that, you know, everything's just going to be, you know, fun and roses and candy. Um, but Lord, if we keep putting you number one in the end, we'll win what's most important. That's eternity with you in heaven. And so, Lord, would you help us today? Would you help us through your word to keep speaking to us so that we can make you number one and we can love everything else less? Would you, would you help us through prayer 
so that, Lord, we can hear your heart a little bit more, the conviction of your spirit, so that we can keep making you number one and everything else can become a little bit less. And Lord, I pray for our church that generations would, would like learn from each other and our, our older generations would be able to invest into our younger as they share their testimony of what it looks like to sacrifice and to surrender to Jesus and to love this world a little bit less so that Jesus can become number one. Lord, as, as we swim against the current of this world, would you give us the stamina and the strength to do that? We can't do that on our own. We're not strong enough. We're going to fail. We're going to fall. But through the power and the grace of your Holy Spirit, we can be overcomers. And Lord, lastly, that's what I pray for our church. May we overcome this world and love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and keep you number one, even in a world that doesn't. In Jesus' name, amen.